0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at BYTE.com. That's B Y T E.com. Start your confidence journey today with BYTE. Ghost Stealers! Ghost Stealers! Say Ghost Stealers! Ghost
1: Steelers Outpost podcast, a proud member of Sports Network. It's June 6th, 2021. This is Tom coming to you from Sawdust Studios in the Washington, D.C. Outpost. Nick joins me from the Houston Outpost. Several stories today, starting with a a visit from an interesting player, or at least from an interesting position from a Steelers perspective. We'll also talk more about OTAs. There were several interviews with players, including one very interesting one we'll bore into. And also some sad news that, unfortunately, is kind of, profoundly sad that we'll, we'll uh, be talking about by the end of the podcast but first Malik Hooker formerly of the Colts safety from the Colts visited the Steelers among other teams what, what's your perspective on that Nick
0: my perspective is we almost had a repeat of Minka because this was a guy in the draft Malik Hooker what like four years ago or something I think he came out the same year that was it Jamal Adams or Derwin James I think it was uh Well, either way, he's a very high-quality safety from Ohio State, top 20 pick, total ball-hawking, Ed Reed style, maybe Jesse Bates is a little bit more of a comparison today, center fielder type of safety who's visiting Pittsburgh, and basically the story with him is he's been injured half the time he's been in the NFL, so he hasn't been able to totally reach his potential, but when he's played, he's been good. I think that everybody who's listening to the podcast could go look up his big highlight and you'll recognize it. They were playing, I don't know if it was the Colts or the Chargers, but I know that Philip Rivers threw the ball into the end zone. It was the Chargers. He's throwing throwing Keenan Allen. And Malik Hooker comes out of nowhere and just snatches it, swipes the ball out of the air with one hand, completely palms it like a center fielder running to go grab a ball that's going to the wall or whatever. Snatches it, sprints out of the end zone. And so, yeah, this is a really high pedigree guy who I guess maybe with Indianapolis's bloated salary cap situation, I mean, obviously they just signed an expensive quarterback in Carson Wentz. Uh, with that situation combined with his pretty consistent unavailability, that might be why they're shopping him. But he is a guy with a lot of great promise who also has flashed really great stretches of play in the NFL. So this isn't just the Steelers taking a flyer on a Justin Gilbert or whatever you may say, but it, it matches what the Steelers want to do in a lot of ways. They love taking flyers on former top 10, top 20 picks. I mean, look, Alu, Alu former top 10 pick. Uh, Eric Ebron, former top 10 pick. They've gone with other guys. They tried the Justin Gilbert thing before. Obviously, Minka, they really valued him. And I love the idea that they brought this guy in because – it. If you pair him with Minka Fitzpatrick, which implies that you would be getting rid of uh, Terrell Edmonds, which by the way, we've talked about that ad nauseum, it is a little weird that they haven't picked up his fifth year option, even though we consider him to be a serviceable starting safety. But if you put Malik Hooker in the back end, it would free Minka to do some of those Minka things that he was drafted for. The big story on Minka Fitzpatrick coming out of Alabama is that he legitimately might be an equally good slot corner as an actual safety and we've seen in pittsburgh that center fielder role has been his best but there's a lot of untapped potential for minka in my opinion and i was talking to this i was talking to andre about this what a good friend of the pod yesterday we were talking about troy and andre became more of a official Steelers fan kind of in the killer bees era when he moved to houston we started watching all the games together so i was lamenting the fact that he didn't really get to watch troy play and i was talking how crazy it was when you watched Troy play, there were, no, like, there were no stretches of games where you didn't notice him. You always noticed him. He found a way to make an insane tackle, a crazy play in coverage, obviously acrobatic interceptions. It, you knew he was on the field. And the same thing with Ed Reed. And that's my thing with Mink. I think right now he's being held back a little bit because he got targeted, I think, a grand total of 17 times last year. And teams are just saying, just don't throw anywhere near this guy. We'll try our luck elsewhere. So th- that is good. That's a sign of a great safety. But I just feel like if you had some more movable parts around him, you'd be able to put him in positions where it's like, you're not going to be able to get around this guy. You can't get around the honey badger. You weren't going to get around uh, you know, Earl Thomas or wherever it was. So that's why it's kind of a cool experiment that they even thought about bringing Malik Hooker in.
1: Minka came out in 2018, the year after his average salary is a little over four million. Hooker's was a little over three million. We, we wouldn't imagine that he would command that money given his sort of absenteeism over the years. Mm-hmm. But to your point, you, I'm not sure if he comes in at a uh, veteran minimum. But well, do you trading from?
0: So he he's on the last year of deal or no?
1: last year of his deal but you're
0: right they would have to think about signing him long term so you're right and they know, and definitely not a veteran minimum if you're getting traded for you um but uh i don't know i don't think that the price tag would be this massive issue if they were able to get him in because uh, they're about to get a lot more cap space and then but then again that's where some of the rubs are uh which which i'll go into in a minute but what else were you trying to say about that idea
1: There's no possibility that they had any foresight of this when they decided not to keep Terrell Edmonds his fifth-year option. That was just this is just sort of working out that maybe because uh, they made a decision about Terrell, they're looking a little harder at safety. Although that's not where we need to help. You you said something interesting that Mika might be being held back a bit just because he's got to hold down the fort. Yeah, he had. I mean, he had two great cornerbacks this last year. Do you think? that it will be better or worse for him? He'll have to play you know, more solidly at safety and not come up at all because we actually drop back a bit in sort of cornerback talent and Joe Hayden's a year older? Or do you think he'll have to be even more flexible and be more all over the field because of that?
0: No, I think it's more directly related to Terrell Edmonds having no flexibility to play deep. I don't think it's so much about the corners. I think that's probably their issue with Terrell because even Ryan Clark could play deep a little bit for Troy. Like, Ryan Clark, you, you don't want to have him back there for 64 snaps a game, but he could take 10 to 15 and play center field and, and be good at it. And, I, and I'm starting to feel like the picture is becoming more clear on this Terrell Edmonds thing and how they feel about him. I think they like Terrell Edmonds. You know how much they love their, their first-round draft picks. And obviously, by all accounts, he seems like a super hard worker and a great guy and really gets along with the team we've pointed out he's gotten better and better every year but just that one dimensional aspect of his play is worrisome because he is a straight liability in center field so when they didn't pick up his fifth year option you and i said i don't care what you say about the the salary cap that's fishy that's weird i mean they picked up bud depree's fifth year option when a lot of people didn't even think he was going to be worth it at the time uh what did they do with Artie? i don't remember i don't i don't think they. i don't even remember with him i don't think they no. picked this up but Uh, Yeah, that writing was on the wall but what i'm trying to say is they usually pick up that fifth year option unless you're a total bust like Artie or jarvis and we thought it was a little bit weird and we kind of i don't know if we agree with it or disagree with it because like we said hey you can't have 11 superstars on the team you can't put all your money into five players on the defense and, and have no money left over for the other side of the ball or other positions so why wouldn't you Pick up Terrell's option. He's not going to command that much money and keep him on the team. Well, now that they brought in a true ball-hawking, center-fielding safety to look at, I'm starting to see the writing on the wall. I think they might be thinking, like, look, we like Terrell, but we have this blue-chip superstar in Minka, and Terrell, I mean, he's, he's, he's a damn liability out there. He's Ron Burgundy with the teleprompter. Anything you put in the teleprompter, Burgundy will read. Hey, Brick... He's fantastic when he's chasing a storm front. But anything else, you are in for a disaster. And that's Terrell Edmonds when it comes to playing deep. And maybe they just want a guy who can do a few more things so they could unlock Minka. But uh, I don't know if it's going to happen. Because, because he uh, got out of Pittsburgh, Malik Cooker, and he tweeted out one of the classic cryptic player tweets. Not so cryptic if you read it. Be patient. It's going to play out how it's supposed to. Okay, so that means he did not get signed. Like, usually when these guys go on free agent or trade visits or whatever it is. Wait, is, is he a free agent? Could I be wrong? Yeah, if he's going on visits, then that wouldn't be a trade. So I'm I going misspoke there earlier. Um, he's but, done. He's he, Go ahead. What were you going to say?
1: No, he's, he's it's burned off now. He's, his dead cap was burned off in 2020. So he is free and available.
0: Ah, got you. There you go. Okay, well, look, if he didn't get out of Pittsburgh with the deal, it's probably not happening, and then especially if he tweets that. He's from Pennsylvania. He went to high school in Pennsylvania, and so I think that he he probably – was eager to join the Steelers, judging by some of his social media interactions with some Steelers fans. Like he was tweeting back at Steelers fans, that grinning smiley face when they were saying, we want you to come into Pittsburgh and stuff like that. And so I'm sure he wanted to. And then when you put that tweet up after you leave without a deal, probably didn't happen. Um, And then you're right. Like when you're looking at the positions they need, it feels weird that they would spend money on a safety you know, so I bet you they were trying to get him in there like, Look, dude, you play like half the time. We're not playing, paying you big money. And at first it makes me feel like, What are you what are you doing? You're spending the money in the wrong places. Yet again, this off season. Like, you need to get some damn linemen, a backup edge, and a corner, and we all know it, and you just won't do it and you're out here trying to sign safeties. Well, maybe that's just what avail what's available. Maybe there's not a corner in their price market, <clears throat> Stephen Nelson, who's available, who you could pick up. So they're like, well, we do have this opportunity to grab this safety. And if we can get him for cheap, it's going to help the secondary, even if we still have a corner issue. And then they try to negotiate with him, and it turns out that it wasn't cheap enough. And they said, all right, later on, man. That's my prediction.
1: On the other side of this uh, sponsorship spot, I'm going to offer my mea culpa for yet another mistake I made during last year's podcast but first we want you to hear about this exciting new platform
0: locker room listen i don't want to hear it okay i don't want to hear your opinion on anything outside of steelers football and penguins hockey and you know what while you're at it we can talk about some other sports too and when you're in the locker room that's the situation, everybody. It's a live, audio-only, sports talk platform that's free to download and easy to use. You can talk to fans, athletes, and insiders in real time without all the rest of the, the extracurriculars that you know these other platforms offer for you. You can share your experiences on the app. You can attend watch parties. You can have debates, post-game breakdowns, and you can react to breaking news. Now, look, all you gotta do is download the Locker Room app for free in the iOS store, create a profile, link your Twitter, and join the group. So do it, Locker Room.
1: Last week, we were talking about OTAs, and I was just surmising. Look, this is just a lot of repetition, getting used to a lot of new guys used to the NFL. They certainly couldn't be installing a new offense. Well, I was wrong. They're installing the new offense. And I have been following Mark Buller mainly on the Athletic, and it's kind of strange. These guys have a vantage point from about 200 feet away because of COVID. Still, uh, they're only allowed to report certain things, and you can't figure it out because you get some details, and then they tell you, "Well, we can't tell you the rest of the story." Anyway, he he was lamenting that the in the offense is being installed for a bunch of guys who won't be there in uh, when the season starts. But it is interesting. One thing that he emphasized, and this shouldn't come as a surprise to any of us, the Steelers are looking to be less predictable, something we hammered on week after week last year.
0: Yeah, I they're installing it. They have to. I'm not worried about other players being there. It's not like they're creating the... Ronnie Brown wildcat offense that's going to take a team by surprise in week one and just the sheer unpredictability of it is going to get them a win at the beginning of the year like they're going to run things that other teams are running they're just trying to modernize a little bit so it makes a lot of sense to me that you got to do some of this stuff just set the tone Ben get under center more on that later Uh, let's mess with some of these little jet sweeps let's mess with a lot of the run sets for these offensive linemen hey we're going to be doing a lot more zone Ben, get used to your new senders. There's no Pouncey this year, which he almost cried about in the press conference, right? Let's get used to some of the newness. Let's commit early, and let's do what Jerome Bettis actually was suggesting in the press last year. And I didn't take it as seriously. And then over the summer, I started thinking about it more, or over the offseason, I started thinking about it more, and it is true. He's like, look, the Steelers are running the ball like crap because they haven't made it a priority. It's something that you do in OTAs and in training camp. You drill it into the team's head that we are going to run the ball. And even if you're not that great at it, you'll be better than what you were last year. Even if you don't have a ton of talent, if you have the mindset that we're not getting out of here with under 20 rushing attempts, you know, obviously we've we've talked a lot of crap about that in, in the past for how stupid that can be, especially when you're lighting people up with the pass. But the reality is we saw what happened last year. You are not lighting people up on the pass. You don't have a quarterback who can just carry your team anymore. So you do need to find a way to run the ball. Much how much like how the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were running the ball to like a crazy extent over the second half of the year, even when you're wondering, like, why don't they just go downfield more? Well, they have this old quarterback, and this was the formula that they wanted to follow. And eventually, by the time the playoffs got going, they got into the rhythm of doing it, and it was impressive. But I do like to hear that they're, uh, they're establishing this mindset. If you hear an interview with any of the Steelers players on offense or defense from this OTA session, Every single player mentions the establishing the run game being a massive priority. So these guys are getting clockworked-oranged while they're at training camp. Their eyes are being taped open. They're watching highlights of the bus and Le'Veon. And they're telling you, we're running the ball. We're running the ball. When you go to sleep tonight, think about running the ball because we're running the damn ball. we got Najee Harris. He's going to run the ball. we got Benny Snell. Hopefully, he doesn't have to run the ball that often. But McFarland, he's out there making cuts, making it happen. Matt Canada, we're going to have receivers run the damn ball. We're doing jet sweeps. We're doing everything we can. So it is exciting that the Matt Canada offense has uh, begun.
1: According to Kaboli. Najee Harris just looks like, you know, it, you can oh, yeah. definitely te- tell that he's at a different tier. Although, he did say next tier is McFarlane, McFarlane. and Bailage. What did I say?
0: No, I was just agreeing with you. McFar- I'm, uh, you can watch the videos, and it's like we said last year when he gets into the game. Well, he's the only one that looks like a professional running back from a physicality standpoint, even though he's small. But he has such insane bursts compared to the other guys who are on the Steelers roster doesn't surprise me that he looks awesome on the bags. It's just sometimes when he gets the ball, he has no – he blacks out. Because, ah, where's the goal? Where's oh, This isn't soccer. This is football. All right, I'm going to intercept. Oh, I'm on offense. Ah, oh, crap, I already fell down and I'm tackled. So we'll see what happens when people get out there. But, yeah, it's a clear difference with those guys. And the Kalen Ballage thing, he was a higher draft pick, so that also doesn't surprise me. And once again, you're competing against maybe the slowest running back in the NFL and Benny Snell, who I'm sorry. I just crap all over every time I'm in here. But – um, I am well, what you, what the, it's not that impressive
1: I mean could he be a guy who replaces Benny this year do you think the who? Steelers are married to their Kalen Ballage replacing Benny Snell possibility uh, or
0: mm, I doubt it I mean he's, he sucks <laughs> he's been terrible and the NFL okay. he averages like one yard a carry, he, he was the one that they brought in the guy that I'm looking at is, is McFarlane if he can figure out which way is left and right, he is the obvious number. To, and if he can pass protect, he would be the obvious guy to come in for Najee Harris, especially since he has a different style. I mean, much faster player. And the only one, in my opinion, that has true NFL running back potential. And he should his career should mirror more of like a Darren Sproul. Maybe not Darren Sproul, so That's a, That's an absolute, you know. Uh, a high watermark there, but like a Dion Lewis or something like that. Like a guy who maybe once or twice a year could have a 20 carry game and but overall, like you're a smaller guy. You're, you're the 10 touch, you know the 5 to 10 touch a game kind of guy who's actually very valuable for a football team. Uh, We know he's not getting 20 carries. I mean, let's keep our fingers crossed. Just make sure that Najee stays healthy. But Najee's getting 40 touches a game. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, those guys, I mean, it is obvious. When you just look at the physique of Najee Harris, it's hilarious. His biceps have abs. He's got two gold chains. The gold chains look like they weigh 40 pounds each. And it just looks amazing when he's out there. It reminds me of Le'Veon Bell's first game in London against the... Minnesota Vikings, behind a crappy Steelers offensive line, in which he averaged under four yards a carry for his rookie year. But I remember saying out loud, "This guy looks different," because we had been used to we had to watch Jonathan Dwyer at that time, who is officially the worst running back I've seen in the NFL before. He had that one eighty-yard run, and then he still was catching his breath six years later from that one run. And we're just trying to make this round peg fit in this square hole. Mm-hmm. And when Bell got on there, yeah, the success wasn't tremendous because he was recovering from a foot injury. The line wasn't good yet. But you notice, man, even that three-yard run is so beautiful. His burst is crazy. He had this diving touchdown in his first game versus the Vikings where he dove to the front right pylon. And you're like, this guy is going to be good. And we called it in the offseason. You and I were talking about it. I don't think we were doing the pod at that time. I remember telling all my friends at college with fantasy, like, I'm taking Le'Veon Bell number one in fantasy. Watch, this guy's insane. Seeing what he can do. And I did, and then that next year was that 2015 year where he broke out and the whole killer bees broke out. So Najee Harris does have that clear, like, oh, that's, that's a first-round pick kind of guy when he's on the field.
1: During Chase Claypool's interview, he, he said that the Steelers are still emphasizing that the wide receivers do blocking. Uh, and he may have been poking some fun at them, but he said Ray-Ray McLeod and Deontay Johnson might be asked to go against some linebackers.
0: Please, God, don't, don't let that happen.
1: <laughs> Just get in um, their way.
0: Well, it's it's interesting because the Steelers are dying to run the ball a lot, and they have a very intriguing opportunity here to go 12 personnel, so two tight ends, two receivers, one running back. Because they can have Fryermuth and Ebron at tight end. So Fryermuth hopefully gives you a little more blocking. Ebron, like we said, I mean, he can't block, but he did give better effort in Pittsburgh last year than he had in prior places. And then you could have Juju and Claypool as your receivers. You know, I've frequently said, I think Deontay has more potential as a pure receiver than Juju does. And I I think that's pretty obvious, especially when you look at just the, the variety of, running he can do the fact that he can't be you know held off by press coverage even by the best corners there's the film of him against trey white and everyone from last year so on and so forth i still think that about deontay johnson but when you're talking about having an identity for a football team and it revolving around the fact that hey we have a 39 year old quarterback who is completely beat up we can't ask him to throw 30 times a game like, no matter what. I mean, hopefully during the playoffs or something, maybe it has to come out or whatever it is. But we need to protect this guy, and we need to run the ball, and we need to take advantage of our good defense. Well, we have the personnel to do this 12 thing. And when you have Juju and Claypool blocking as the receivers, two extra tight ends and a killer running back, I know the offensive line's a question mark, but you could really you could, you could mess some people up with that. Lineup, so I, I do think that if the receivers can continue to block really well and get even better at it, particularly Chase Claypool, you could crush some people with that because then you're going to get tight end, you're going to get play action, and you get Claypool and Juju one on one or Ebron or someone out of that formation. So I, that I'm taking as a hint.
1: The Steelers have the luxury of these wide receivers who embrace the, the role of blocking. Washington. Also, a guy we hadn't mentioned who's not afraid right. to do that when he's in the game. So, just switching gears a little bit, you and I are both in love with the fact that Ben came to OTAs. In addition to the other um, veterans, one of the reasons he may be there is he's got to learn a whole new language. That sort of came out in all these yeah. interviews with Canada installing this offense and different terminology for for the new offense.
0: Yeah, well, and be he's good. got if to you know. It too. Yeah. Yeah, he's, Ben's got to know everything. Look, I just keep comparing back to Aaron Rodgers two years ago in his first year with Matt LaFleur offense. And you're talking about Rodgers, super cerebral quarterback, who's going to study probably even more than Ben. And it took them a year. I thought that the, that offense, they put up good numbers their first year, but just watching them, I thought they, they suck. Remember, Rodgers was accused of being not very aggressive that year, and he wasn't. The offense just wasn't that scary, and then they came back last year with the identical personnel, and just became an absolute air show. And I think that it was the adjustment to a dramatically different system, which also is similar to what the Steelers are going to run. It's that McVeigh disciple type of, you know, offense that's actually based on the run game and everything like that. So when I look at it, took Rodgers and them a year. Um, took Brady, who's talking about it, took him a full damn year down there in Tampa Bay. That's a big part of why they were a little clunky and closer to 500 at the halfway point last year. Uh, He said he didn't even really truly know the playbook the entire year with Tampa Bay. And so if if it took them a while, I have to assume it's going to be a little tricky this year for Ben. And it doesn't surprise me because he's been using the same verbiage for 18 years.
1: Do you think, let me just throw this out. I think that that is a recipe for more gunslinging than usual if he can't sort of master the uh, terminal or master the the playbook that sort of opens up for like, I forgot the play is (laughs) during the middle of the
0: play. I think, yeah, I think his whole career is based off of like, "Ah, I'm just going to go back to the gunslinging thing. And that's where last year happened a little bit. And it's just going to take a big time dedication. And I just wonder how much time he's going to put in outside to do it. I mean, he's talked about it a lot. He has told us, no, I don't throw, I don't do football in the summer. It's time it's time to spend with my family. And my thought on that has always been like you you do actually need to be aware of that and you need to do what works for each player. I know everybody wants to think you're going to be everyone's going to be Tom Brady and it's just going to be obsessed obsessed obsessed. That does not work for everybody. Like you even listen to Pat McAfee show, there are certain players who would smoke weed before games and they had to. Because they're like their anxiety levels or whatever they were doing, it's just like they had to do it, and they were laughing. They're like, it's not just some players; it's some first ballot Hall of Famers. And then there's other guys who who could never think of doing something like that. So what I'm trying to say is like, you think you can, you think you can say like everyone should be like Tom Brady? Well, Randy Moss didn't stretch, okay? And I know you guys are having trouble relating to this because you're not that. You're not that. If you've seen it, it's hilarious. I mean, Ben Roethlisberger is the quarterback for the Steelers. He doesn't work out. He doesn't practice throwing. He says that with a complete straight face to Chris Sims interviews in the summertime. like, oh, no, I just kind of re it out every time I get into training camp. Same thing Terry Bradshaw used to use. There are freaks out there. So <laughs> I I know that it's it's, it's worth it for Ben to spend time with the family. Clearly, I think that refocusing of his life made him a better guy off the field and in the locker room. Um, And this was a really roundabout way of me saying, glad he's spending time with the family. I think he needs to cut it down a little bit. (laughs) Because if you're serious about winning the Super Bowl, you're going to need to up the off-field percentage that you did not have to use so much when you were so athletic that you could make anything happen. And And I hope that's what he does, but being at OTAs is a great step one.
1: I mean, being with the family sounds like another throwaway statement to me. He, at this stage of his career, really needs to preserve that arm. I can see why he doesn't throw. He doesn't need to. His accuracy is not going to improve. No, or you're I mean, maybe decline with the injury, but he was resting. But, like, who's he? Yeah. W- what are you trying to gain? Timing? That won't even, I mean, you need to be with the players you're going to play with, I would imagine, to get your timing down. So the thing that we laughed about, I think, is the fact he got paunchy. So we could surmise that if he didn't work out, he also wasn't studying any playbooks. And he's telling us he's studying the playbook. Again, I kind of think we're gonna see some gunslinging. He's got a lot of tools around him. It's sort of, if if he is not sort of landlocked into these uh, passes within 2.1 seconds, he's got a lot of tools. Now the the question mark we all have is the offensive line. Can he, I'm not as, I really am not worried about Ben. I, I think he'll come back and be above the line if he has protection. And he has an offense that um, he sort of cooperates with.
0: Yeah, I'm worried about him lasting the whole season. I'm not worried about him for the beginning either. You're right, we've seen enough. And you're actually right about the throwing thing. He does not need to. There are natural throwers in the NFL. I don't think Rodgers actually throws that much over the offseason too. To me, the time better spent is more like going through film to an obsessive extent. Like, okay, we're playing the Ravens this week. Not only am I going to watch their games, but I'm going to spend Monday watching all of their third down and short situations in the red zone. I'm going to see what their tendencies are. And then Monday night, I'm going to do third down and long. And Tuesday, we're going to do first down defense. Like, that's the level of study that... Peyton and these other quarterbacks will do. And to me, if you're really serious about winning a Super Bowl, you can't just be delusional. He didn't really have to do those things as much before. Could he have done them? Yep, that would have been awesome, but he really didn't need to because he throws better than Peyton. He runs better than Peyton. He did some other things, but now you don't do those things and you're really gonna need to be decision-based because those arthritic knees aren't gonna do that, <laughs> that well and so on and so forth so that's where i hope he spends the time but in terms of learning the new verbiage for an offense yeah it's confusing because you might have a motion where your outside receiver to the right motions fully across the formation to become like an outside receiver on the left and it may maybe it was called zap a zap motion for 18 years and now it's called zip motion and that's just going to be so annoying you know, And that's basically how NFL players talk about this. B.J. Finney, they talked about it in that way as well. So it's not going to be rocket science. Ben knows NFL offenses. There's not going to be something that surprises him. But just the fluidity of being able to speak the language isn't going to be there because you're going to have to think, oh, wait, crap, we call that zip now. And that already has taken some of your processing away.
1: I think ben, Ben's film study consists of him getting the kids in the basement on a Friday watching his highlight tapes. I That's my guess. Right. I think you're right. Hey, did you also, we, we you have heard these reports about Dwayne Haskins looking really good in practice. As a matter of fact, Ben said Dwayne Haskins can throw a ball through a car wash and not have the ball get wet.
0: Yeah, he throws well. We talked about him a few years ago when he was coming out. He's, he's got a really good arm. Uh, he has some similarities to Ben Roethlisberger, although he does not have the athleticism that Ben had when he was coming in. Go watch his early years. Ben is so was so much more athletic than people remember. They want to make it sound like it's this bumbling, stumbling thing, and that was definitely part of it. But, no, he could rip off runs. He could run away from fast defensive ends and cut on a dime to make them miss dwayne haskins does not have that but he does throw the ball very well so it's not surprising there although i think it's hilarious that he compliments him like one day into playing with him and has never said anything about mason but it really is like that like even if you watch the practices mason throws the ball well for a human being he throws nice spirals he can throw it decently far but he can't throw it that hard. It's more like these pretty little lobbers, like a Ch- Chad Pennington type of thing. Haskins can strike the ball in there. So I'm sure Ben, ha- uh, ben hasn't had a guy uh, behind him with uh, with true throwing talent like that, really, ever.
1: I actually think this is the new Ben. We both listened to the interview. And for the first time in any interview memory, he was calling the reporters by their first names.
0: Yeah. You and I were talking like him. He- do you think he had media training? Because he's known these guys for a while. But you were positing that maybe he's had some extra media training where they were telling him, like, hey, use the people's first names. Engage them. Try and do a joke. I mean, you've seen his natural progression and becoming more comfortable in interviews over the years. And these guys have been in Pittsburgh, the beat writers. They've been interviewing him for a while and they're generally pretty cool to him at least for the past few years. So I think there's a natural comfort there, but it is interesting to look like, oh, maybe he's had some training where they're giving him some some tips. Cause he, I think he used almost everybody's name as long as they weren't any of the ladies (laughs) where he didn't use any of their names.
1: (laughs) That's exactly why I think he got some advice or some training, or he read Dale Carnegie because he used it to excess. Every he named every one of them as opposed to throwing one out. You know, hey. like naturally, you don't always use the person's name, especially in an interview situation. But yeah, um, it was it was it was a pleasure. I don't know what we learned. I took my takeaway from that discussion was that he's genuinely excited about his receiving core and Najee Harris that these tools are at his disposal and he's excited for the year.
0: Yeah, definitely. And that's why he came back and, and there was some, you know, kind of classic Ben, like semi-excuse-making stuff. Uh, I don't know if it was being self-aware or not, but when Mark Caballi, once again, asked him about the inefficiency of his deep balls, like, you've been, been a pretty good deep thrower, like pretty decent deep thrower throughout your career. I'm like, come on, Mark, he's arguably the greatest deep, ball thrower in the history of the sport you don't have to say he's pretty good you should have led with that that might have gotten a better answer so he's like you've been uh, pretty good with your deep ball throwing over your career although i don't know maybe he said it with a smile and then it was more tongue and cheek cheek um you weren't that good last year more or less what happened with that and Ben immediately before the period is put on the end of caballi sentence says well mark i had total reconstructive surgery on my elbow so maybe that had something to do with it uh but no excuses and he was, it did look like he kind of caught himself when he said, oh, no excuse. He's like, oh crap, shouldn't have said that. But I almost feel like you should just lean into it and be like, dude, it's because my elbow was a piece of crap last year. And he talked about how, you know what, actually it felt good all year, but when you're injured, when you have a major injury like that, are you, are you really truly back or does it take a full year? All completely legitimate things. Uh, obviously we have all talked about it. It is, it's all over film. Like, oh, it was more leg-related stuff. You can see this stuff pretty plainly. So I don't really know if that's an excuse. And it's weird that they never made that excuse during the year. And now you're making it after. And I just wonder how much downtime Ben and the Steelers are having where they can look back at some of that stuff at the end of the year and be like, huh, uh maybe it was the elbow. But, hey, look, uh, Claypool even mentioned this too. They need to make more down, com- combative catches downfield. You and I talked about that during the year. Look back at it. The downfield throwing – it was really bad compared to the exquisite downfield throwing that Ben said throughout his career. But there were two plays a game where you're like, "Eh, Ab would have caught that, or you know, Wallace would have caught that." Like Claypool, you look like Julio Jones, who just got traded to the Titans. By the way, before this episode, you look like Julio Jones. Why are you not catching that? And then when when Landry Jones went in for that final game, he was catching those downfield ones that they were actually under thrown passes. But to Rudolph's credit, he was like, I'm just throwing near this freaking guy. And he was going up and catching them. So there were opportunities that Deontay and Claypool were not capitalizing. And, and Juju actually was a little bit better at coming out with those catches and Washington as well, not capitalizing on those as much as people want to say he always does.
1: Ben finally did something that I said, if I was in that position, I would do. He was asked, how the offense is going to be different. And Ben responded that it will be completely different. You will see nothing that you have seen in the past. Like, obviously, I'm not going to give you the playbook. Right. And that question is, so how can you guys be less predictable? Well, let me go to page 67 of the Jets' sweet chapter and tell you what's going to happen.
0: Yeah. He's a little yeah, he playful with them. Yeah, and I thought the interview was good. Like, I'm teasing him a little bit for – Maybe, like, making excuses. But you and I have talked about this before. I think that he sometimes tries to draw a little attention to himself and all the things he's doing when he's like, I was calling the plays. Or like, uh, oh, also in this interview, he said they asked him about the pay cut. I thought it was a really good question. I don't remember if it was Ray Fittipaldo or someone like that. But he said, hey, so when they asked you to take the pay cut, did that hurt your feelings? How are you feeling? I thought it was a very good question. And Ben, before the period gets put on the end of the sentence, says, well, Ray, it was my idea. And to me I'm like, that's just bull bull crap. The whole we all know the situation. The whole public knows how much you make. They know how much the Steelers have. I know that you could be down for it. We've praised him for being down for it. But don't ask like this was some out of right field thing. I think we all have this understanding. Even Colbert and Rooney said in their postseason pressers or their recent pressers around draft time that we needed Ben back at a certain number. And so clearly they're indicating that they did as well. So I think that it's a team effort, 50-50 between Ben and the team. And you're, if you just say that, like, look, uh, we all kind of knew where we were at with the salary cap. And this was something I was willing to do. You're going to get the same amount of credit from the public than if you just say, it was all my idea. But now when you say it's all my idea, I'm like, Sigh. you're – You don't need to exaggerate, but I understand why he needs to exaggerate a little bit because he's potentially the most underrated player in the history of the NFL because the media hates him and he never, where they always say, Oh, the great quarterbacks like breeze Rogers and Brady. And for some reason they never throw Roethlisberger in there. So I get why he overcompensates sometimes.
1: I look at it a little differently because his propensity is always to take the blame for losses. This is on me. I have to play better. And in a way, Maybe he interpreted that question as, I don't want the Steelers to look bad. I'll, I'll say that I you know, be trying to cut the salary of their greatest quarterback ever. Maybe not. I, I do realize, you, you pointed out earlier offline, how Ben needs to let everybody know that he's injured, he's, he needs some attention. And yeah, th- this does, I think it makes him, well, it does make him look good. Is he taking credit for looking good, or is he trying to take heat off of the Steelers? So it can be looked at in a couple different ways. That's but here's one. Here's a point that he made that you might raise your eyebrow about. When they asked him about um, the new offense and needing to go under center, he said, well, we've gone under center. We have shotgun. I can go under center. I never said I didn't like it. Well, Ben was under center out of 646 snaps. Can you guess within 100 how many times he was under center?
0: 646 is the total. I bet you it was under 30.
1: Okay, pretty good. 47, actually. And in the previous years, and they were they were in the seventies, not not exactly uh, a high percentage either. But we'll see, we'll see if he goes under center more this year. I mean, that's, there's no that, uh, there's
0: no way that he like look. It, it is known in NFL circles, which I'm not in, but there's enough podcasts and radio shows out there where where people will chuckle about, chuckle about it. Ben has had a lot of say in the offense over his uh, second half of his career here. Um, clearly they haven't gotten guys who could take him to the next level there. But the under the under center thing, I'm like, uh, come on. That's a hilarious number. 46 snaps under center. And you say that is just coincidence. You don't have anything to do with it. That's crazy. And I know I'm kind of calling Ben out for a lot of things here because I love the damn guy so much. And I feel like if you want to be able to talk about him as a borderline top 10 all-time NFL quarterback, which I think he just factually is, all right, you need to be able to call out the things where he's maybe not doing it right. And it reminds me a little bit of the QB sneak thing, though. Remember when they wouldn't do that forever and then they started doing it and they converted every damn third and one <laughs> and it worked? And I'm like, hey, if that's what happens now, then fine. Take the credit, but just start doing it. We don't care. You you need to be able to go over under center. It gives you a whole other element of deception where you can do play action and the lineman can be hiding the running back better the quarterback has to turn his back to the defense which is probably what ben's been scared of because then you gotta turn around and holy crap now i've i've literally had my eyes closed and now i gotta analyze what's going on but uh, it also allows the running back to start with the head of steam there are so many elements of offensive football that you're leaving out by refusing to go under center hopefully they they really commit to it and Hopefully we don't see what happened last year with the jet sweeps and everything like that. Were extremely successful in the first four games. Everybody caught up to it, and instead of making a single adjustment, they just abandoned it. They freaked out and just went back to like, ah, we'll just we'll just go to the old school stuff. They have to stick with it, even if it means losing some games in the beginning of the season. Because I don't think there's a version of this team that in week 17 you're gonna be like, well, we just went back to the old Ben Slingin offense. Like the, he's 39. That is the craziest bet you're going to make. So I think that you just have to be really disciplined and sticking to this, to, to try grow this new formula.
1: I said we had a little sad news to talk about, and it was news we already knew about, but it sort of gives it some finality. Tunch Elkin retires after 37 years, most of which with the Steelers, either as a player or a broadcaster. And he is retiring now to focus on His al his treatment for his ALS. So he's he's got Lou Gehrig's disease. Very uh, we just found out about that last year, and uh, time to stop you know hang up the cleats, hang up the microphone, and get going on this illness. And I have had uh, people in my family with this disease. It's insane. I you know the the cure is not there. So we all pray for Tunch. He was with the he was a 14 year veteran, 13 of those with the Steelers, two time pro bowler
0: yeah major presence as well in the locker room to this day just to illustrate that bj finney i've referenced his interview a few times in this podcast it's definitely worth going back and looking i think the steelers put out a video where they they had claypool and finney sort of back to back it's like a 10 20 minute video on their full press conferences and and finney uh was had some particularly interesting things to say because they asked him a lot of questions about tunch and what he means to them and when they're what he means to Steelers players, particularly offensive linemen who he spends a lot of time with. And when they asked the question, I was wondering, like, oh, crap. He's, they're kind of putting him on the spot. I wonder how well he knows Tunch. And he just immediately goes into it. Like, oh, they have a relationship off the field, even though he's been gone for a year. He's, he knows his legacy. He knows the two Pro Bowls. He knows Tunch's history. He talks about how much he helps them with, uh, f- like, faith-related stuff outside of football. So it clearly seems like this guy – is part of the fabric of the Steelers in a major way. And so much that he can flirt that line of the corporate line of being a commentator, but then being able to go and hang with those offensive linemen, help them with technique stuff, help them with things he sees on TV and on film, which Finney mentioned, and then help them in their personal lives and be like cool enough to flirt those lines. You can tell how awesome he is just based on any video with Tunch. He's so charismatic and – loving and personable and, and manly and badass and yeah it sucks to hear that he's he's going through this and uh, Finney actually said like, I gotta stop right now before I get a little emotional during this interview so it, it shows you he makes a real difference he's not just some mascot he's he's big time in the Steelers organization and that's a bummer that he's uh, having to retire for that
1: Would you concur that his name is in the top five pantheon of Steelers? Probably a little behind Cheedy Awuma, but <laughs>
0: Oh is, oh name wise yeah, certainly, Ton Chilkin, yeah,
1: hey, he has faced his his share of tragedy. his wife Sharon, was diagnosed with breast cancer in two thousand four um had that treated, but it came back in twenty eleven and she finally passed away in early twenty twelve at the age of fifty five so this guy's been through the ringer, and you would never know it when you watch him on you know watch him on t v yeah, it's just like you said, just sort of makes everybody around him better. Yeah. So this is really sad. So, again, we pray for him going forward.
0: Yeah.
1: So, on that low note, uh, hit us up on Twitter at Steelers Outpost. Shoot us an email at Outpost at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Until next week, go Steelers.
0: Okay, bye bye. <laughs>